I don't think it was the counterculture that came up with that name. If it's, if it's the government that came up with the war on drugs, then we've been at war. They've been at war with us. And, and yeah, war is extremely psychologically traumatic, physically traumatic, emotionally traumatic, financially traumatic. It's fucking trauma. Welcome to Oregon Rooted. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. You're listening to The Dirt Show. Where we bring you Oregon's cannabis culture. To the Dirt Show, I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. All right, well, we are in spring. Well, I don't know. I guess it's not spring yet, but uh, it seems like it's trying to be spring here. It's a trying. Uh, it's making me anxious. I want to plant some stuff. I know. Well, that's everybody's in plant fever. There's a lot of people out there right now that are, uh, you know, getting ahead of the game. I, you know, like JB, he popped in late February. Mm-hmm. He's already like two or three weeks deep on his stuff. <laughs> so, um, you know, people are out there doing it. We don't usually do it till like March because, you know, I mean, they get big. Mm-hmm. Like we, yeah, we don't need nine foot plants. Exactly. So, so I mean, there's no really reason for us to get going till about now. But we are going to pop seeds now. Um, Getting ready. I think that basically we're going to be popping our crosses from last year for sure because we got to work those. And I guess we'll pop, you know, whatever we decide on the ripcord. JD Short, yep. And then, of course, Best the Rip Cord. There we go. <laughs> uh, and then, yes, of course, the Rip Cord F2 because, I mean, we've been waiting for that one. Mm-hmm. Make some monsters. Yes. Things are ugly. So we're going to um, maybe consider crossing those two since <laughs> since we have them. Why not? Why not? Let's it's, do it. It's supposedly very, very gassy. Now, I told you about it. I, it got me really high in studio when he brought it in for the yeah. interview. So. I haven't got to try it quite yet. <laughs> You jealous? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. All right, so let's get right into the news. You know, just a few things here. Uh, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives issued a memo requiring gun dealers in Michigan to use federal background checks because current policy has allowed too many habitual marijuana users to illegally obtain firearms. Our dirty habitual marijuana users. Damn fucking pot smokers. But damn it. Take a shot of whiskey and come down. We'll sell you a gun all day long. Yep. <laughs> I, it's terrible. I mean, I mean, it's not terrible. I take that back. I mean, it's just terrible that they're being so focused on habitual marijuana users, as they put it. Yes, exactly. The Food and Drug Administration finally sent Congress an overdue update on its efforts to formulate policy on enforcement discretion for CBD products. Basically, what this was is you know, they've been getting dinged to come up with some guidelines for marketing. Yeah. Because people can make these crazy claims and they kind of have been. Yes. I mean, and if it's not crazy claims, it's like, you know, CBD bed sheets and like, <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't come up with CBD tampons and CBD. I think they have some, <laughs> but they, uh, the CBD pillow, have you seen that one? Yo, okay. The pillow. And I was, just, the reason I paused is because I was thinking about that. Yeah. The CBD tampons has probably been out for a while. 
I could see that being, well, it's, they've offered, you know, they, I was, I remember when we first went into Top Shelf and we were told by one of the guys in there about using, um, I think it was Empower on a tampon and that his girlfriend did it. And so it helped with, it helps with internal use of keeping cramps away. Sure. Well, I mean, Empower, I've, you know, that shit's the bomb. So yeah. I expect their products to work, but. I had a lapser. I'm like, wait a second. That doesn't sound too crazy. Yeah. But yeah, CBD pillow. I mean, what's next? That I sounds mean, crazy. I mean, they. I, I'm surprised they don't have like CBD car seat covers and shit. <laughs> Calm your ass down. Where you driving? Do you have uh, road rage? I could see this commercial now. Do you have road rage? Order now our new CBD car seat covers. End road rage. End your road rage now. Only $29.95. <laughs> Oregon activists announced that they've collected more than the required number of raw signatures to put a drug decriminalization and treatment expansion measure on the November ballot. Now, this is what we've been talking about. We've had a couple interviews. One was with Decrim Nature, and also we talked with Adelic, and we referred number numerous times. We even read the news articles about how Oregon's pushing for decriminalized drugs all of them really but um you know uh psilocybin mm -hmm. and, the, and the entheogens is a, is part of that too um the signatures haven't been validated yet though so the campaign will co keep collecting for more absolutely so basically they announced thursday that they had gathered one hundred twenty-five thousand signatures which that's huge um they i guess haven't been validated so that means probably no one's not what uh responded back no, what that means is they got to validate that the, all those signatures are legit. So basically, they want to make sure that they're not like duplicates or, you know, uh, if they're forging signatures. Um, you know, I don't know exactly how they do that, this but my basically, sister's son's nephew. Yeah, well, that just, wasn't there. But yeah, just make sure that they're legit signatures. So their their efforts is to go over. They already claimed ten thousand over, but they're going to continue going just to have some sort of safety net. Mm -hmm. um, they've had really good response though, and not really surprised. I mean, Oregon, I think is one of the places that's going to be pioneering entheogens. You know, I, we didn't so much with cannabis, but it seems like we're really pushing forward pretty quick with the, with people wanting to do this. Yeah. Um, this initiative is backed by the national organization, drug policy action. Um, it's going to make it basically a civil infraction punishable by a maximum of a hundred dollar fine, no jail time. Nice. Um, and it, we, this is the problem. I just have to mention this. This is the only thing that really bugs me about this is, and we did mention this previous, uh, I think it was in decrim nature, but the measure is going to take funds, not all of them, but take some marijuana tax revenue from schools, education, and redirect that to substance abuse programs. Mm -hmm. I get it. It's just education, you know. That was a great thing that we were getting from the cannabis yes. taxes. Uh, and we still will get that. I just don't know how much is going to be diverted. I hope it's not enough to affect education because right now everything is going well. But as you know, even with this money, they still have short days at school. Mm -hmm. They still don't. It's not like before where it was five days of the same schedule. Mm -hmm. So anyway. You could guarantee school most of the year. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And there wasn't extra days taken off or it, it's really strange now. So even though with all this money, they still do have some somewhat of a budget, I guess, that limits their time at school. Mm -hmm. A study indicated that THC might be present continuously, even in non-daily smokers at low levels, even if the smoking occasions 
are separated by a week. Yeah. And I think there's so many variables. Like if you have a high metabolism that, you know, might be, you might be able to get away, but we all know 30 days. I mean, if you're smoking, Mm -hmm. but I want, I don't think that this study probably took into account, you know, niacin, uh, cranberry juice, right. Uh, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of water. Yes, yes, you'd have to do that. <laughs> but yeah, so this isn't too surprising. Um, the National Institute on Drug Abuse released a solicitation for grant applications to fund studies investigating, quote, the effects of cannabis and cannabinoid exposure on the developing brain from pre, peri, and postnatal development through young adulthood in humans and using animal models. You know. Yes, it is tested on animals. <laughs> as we should. There is not. A lot of so- <laughs> sorry. There is not a lot of solid evidence or studies on, especially on developing prenatal, you know, babies. Um, and we've talked a few times about our situation mm-hmm. when we had our two-year-old. So I think that stuff like this needs to be done, and I'm yes. glad to see this. Yes. So I had to mention that as well too. So that's it. We didn't get to joke much about this stuff. This stuff was pretty cool and Mm-mm. solid this time. I do have one more. Sure. Golfer Matt Every spoke about his use of medical cannabis and voiced criticism of the PGA Tours drug policy. Yeah. Um, that's cool that he's coming out about that. Mm-hmm. I, I did that brought up something in my head that I wanted to mention too as well. It's nice to see this stuff because now the PGA Tour, they're talk, at least bringing it up and talking about it. Now, you know, Major League Baseball, um, they they brought up recently, too, that they're going to relook at taking marijuana author, you know, substance banned list or whatever. Yeah. But the big one that you reminded me of was NFL. It's so it's official now. The NFL agreed to stop suspending players for cannabis use. Players in the National Football League will no longer face suspensions if they test positive for marijuana under a new collective, the new collective bargaining agreement approved by team owners. Nice. Um, the league would implement several changes to its drug policy covering the use. The new policy would reduce the penalties for players who, who test positive for THC, including the elimination of game suspensions solely for a positive test result. The new policy would also reduce the number of players subject to testing for THC and then shorten the window. So there was a window before of four months. Now they're going to go down to two weeks, and that's just a bit at the beginning of training camp each season. I mean, damn, you know. If you can't stay clean for training. The other thing, too, is it it surprises me because these high-level athletes are definitely, I'm pretty fairly sure, not doing it on the game day or out on the field. I mean. Right. Hold on. Let me spark up this blunt while we're running down the field. Well, I don't mean that. I mean, like, getting high before the game. I mean, they might that morning or something. But, I mean, these guys are playing at a level where they're active as fuck. Mm -hmm. And... I just don't see like if you were doing that and it was affecting your gameplay, you would have been, you wouldn't be at the level you're at right now. Exactly. So I mean, you know, you know. So NFL, MLB, and now hopefully you know PGA, PGA will step up at some point. Yeah, like that'll be awesome. That. So and then they can start using it as medicine. Yes. yes. Okay. So our interview, JD Short, second generation genetics. Now you know he's the son of DJ Short. Yep. The popular breeder in the 90s, he developed the Blueberry line, which 
is not only popular as a standalone, but it's been used in a lot of crosses since, mm -hmm. still being developed by second gen and actually DJ um, of old world genetics. Uh, we have been running those genetics for a few years now. Yep. Um, we've had a lot of fun. We did some crosses. We crossed the, um, oh my God, the Plumberry Kush with the banner. There you go. Which was a good one. I, I'm really interested in that one. Uh, we also did the plum with the Sour V. Now we did the Cutthroat, um, Oregon Cutthroat, which mm -hmm. is one of my favorites. The Oregon Cutthroat we recrossed with the Sour V and with the other two main ones, the Blue Cookies, the Wedding Cake. And uh, what was the other one? I, um, it was the Gorilla Cookies. That's right. The, 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 the uh, um, Clown Royal. Clown Royal that we crossed, correct. With, I don't remember what we crossed it with exactly, but I remember it was Clown Royal and something. Nonetheless, we've done some crosses with his genetics. I really want to bring that hashy, because there's a, like the, the organ cutthroat, if you run it as concentrate, it's really hashy. It produces a lot. Yeah. And I want to bring that hopefully over to something else like the banner, say, where we get some different terps and hopefully right. we get... We get a turp profile we like, but I, I only want to pull the looks and the hash production from the Oregon Cutthroat. I don't right. think that the the full terps or I should say the the high itself. I want to kind of change up on that one. Yeah, it's too sativa-ish for me, and I'm not saying it's a sativa. I'm just saying it's too cerebral. I want something. Banner. No, uh, the Oregon Cutthroat. Oregon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nonetheless, there's a lot of love in this stuff. Now, we've had JD on before. Now, JD came on for number 32, episode 32 and episode 35. Now, in 32, I, I talked to him directly as second gen. He came back on 35 with Greenwork 420. Mm -hmm. Now, Judah Greenwork, he um, does a lot of great work for the community, and he has the Greenwork seeds. We have ran them and yes. had success. JD works with him as well. So yeah. that's the connection there. Uh, but now we brought uh, JD back on for this one um, as second gen. The best part about this interview is, here's the deal. I mean, we can talk about breeding all day long and, and we've talked about breeding before, but I've, we've, I don't know of anyone that's really ever gotten into his life and, and who he is as a person and where he came from, the reasons he is the way he is today. And I got a chance to do that with this interview. Nice. We talked about things he's never talked about before on interviews, uh, and as far as I know, with other people even. Uh, so this is a really special interview for me. Well, uh, seeing as we have kind of grown a relationship with him. Seeing we have. We, we've known him for quite a few years now. Yeah, we we'd have, and he, he likes you a lot, actually. So. What up? <laughs> uh, but he's somewhat, I wouldn't say he's a private man. He's just protective of his privacy. Yeah. And he's, you know, a little reserved on certain subjects. So what he shared in this interview, like I said, just it it's a great it's a good one. Uh, if you really want to get to know awesome. the man behind the genetics as far as, as J.D. Short. And interestingly enough, we have a lot in common. You know, his his family actually came from Pendleton, from that area, for the nice. most part. You know, so did my family. So he's very organ rooted. You know, he has grown up, been around here. With that said, I hope everybody enjoys it. And this is was an interview that was requested by a lot of listeners. Nice. So I hope I did justice for those listeners by getting to know you know, something deeper, know something yeah. deeper about the man. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you, everybody. Oregon love. Oregon love. Stay rooted. Let's see here. Uh, we had talked about before talking about uh, growing up. 
with your father stealing what were you stealing <laughs> you were stealing nugs or I, I was stealing a lot of shit when I was a kid. Well, I imagine. I mean, that's like, you know, having your dad be a ba basketball player and you got, you know, can steal all his shoes or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so from him, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't consider it stealing. When you, you pinch an herb from your dad's grow closet, that was pinching. Ah, uh, right. Like pinching from the bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there was one time actually that I snuck into his grow room and pulled a, a live butt off of his plant. And I know he caught me, but he was very nice about it. And just kind of, it was an interesting experience, that's for sure. What, I mean, did you know what cannabis was like back then? I mean, did you know what it was? Yeah, at that time I did. I had been smoking already at that time. I want to say I was like 15 when I, you know, was sneaking into his room and pinching stuff. Um, yeah, so I, I had a good idea of what it was. Um, I had a connection in middle school. This girl would bring me some, it was pretty good Mexican, actually. She'd bring me handfuls for like 20 bucks, 25 bucks. Was she cute? Yeah, she was cute. And <laughs> boy, this is Pendleton, so yeah. Yeah, well, she's cute. Um, Pendleton, Oregon? Was, yeah. Wow, I didn't, I didn't realize you got that far east in Oregon. Yeah, yeah, I grew up there for a couple years. Lived there for a couple of years. It was a, I liked it. You were with your dad there. I mean, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So I didn't know your your dad had roots in uh, in Pendleton. Yeah, that's crazy because all my family is from Pendleton. <laughs> ah, that is really cool. So what a great place to start what he did. And so what was it like growing up there? I mean, you obviously had access to some good cannabis. I mean, and then. You know, you had a lot of country to to have fun with. Yeah, so um, I I grew up more in Eugene than Pendleton. We moved there when I moved there when I was like ten. My dad moved there a little bit earlier than that before I was ten. But so, and he got his start in Eugene actually, and then moved to Pendleton. Um, and I I liked it there. It was weird being out in the middle of nowhere, coming from Eugene. You know, um, much smaller town. But, uh, yeah, it was nice. I didn't mind it. The herb, the herb scene in Pendleton, I mean, I was too young to know what the herb scene was like. Uh, the girl that, that used to bring me uh, weed, she was some kind of a, I, I swear she had connection to some kind of a biker crew. I mean, she was much more of a gruff character for Pendleton. <laughs> And I was kind of obscure and random that I somehow ended up hooking up with her and she would bring me weed. Um, it was just kind of by chance. But other than that, I'm, I'm not sure what the herb scene was like in, in Pendleton. I know what it was like in my dad's closet. So. Well, and I mean, being a child, did it click with you? I mean, did it, did you realize that he was starting a whole culture with his genetics at the time? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, it, it, it took me years to kind of figure that out. I was kind of, you know, because of the legalities of things, you know, it was kind of kept a little bit more hush-hush. So um, to me, it was just a normal way of life. And um, to be honest, more often than not, it was quite a struggle, you know, um, financially and in you know, and my dad remaining hidden and him not being able to share things with us. I mean, I was just thinking about this the other day, actually. Mm -hmm. That flow plant that we have that was selected in 1992 
Um, I was there when he selected that plant, but I never saw it. And I never saw it until I was 24 or 25. So I didn't see it until 10 years later, you know. Um, and here now I am, I'm working with that plant, but I never got to, to be involved with him when he was doing those hunts and stuff because it, you know, I mean, it was a, a private thing, a secret thing. Prohibition was pretty, pretty intense back then. Uh Oh, you still there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you're, you're right. The nineties was pretty rough or eighties, seventies, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, growing up around it and coming from Eugene and, you know, we grew up in a counterculture. So it was, for us, it was, it wasn't something that we understood we needed to keep secret as kids, you know, um, as a matter of fact, my brother in kindergarten, when they asked, when they went around the room and asked what your parents do, what your father does for a living, my brother told, told the teacher, he said, well, my dad grows hot plants. Um, and this was in like the late eighties or whatever. And luckily bless the teacher's heart. You know, she went to my, my parents and said, you know, you need to have a, a talk with your, your child. Um, so yeah, it, it was quite a different time for sure. And now I'm going to dig real deep here. I, you know, if you don't want me to put this in, let me know, but, um, did religion play any part of your growing up? And if so, what was it and how did it affect you? Not directly. Um, and no, I'm totally um, willing and open to talking about that subject. My, my family was very religious. They come from a very religious background. Um, but they didn't, uh, they didn't push that on their, their kids at all, at all. Um, I, I haven't even been baptized. Uh, but, um, but it, it, for anybody who's, you know, been indoctrinated into religion, as they know, it, it, it doesn't really matter if you, you know, try to, to keep it out of your life. Uh, the way it's kind of been explained to me is once you're indoctrinated, once you're in, it, you, don't, you don't really get out. You know, you just, you form this, this uh, mindset. And once that's formed, you're stuck in that. It's just, it's, it's the way that all humans kind of work. We get this foundation of, of an ideology and we stick with it. It works for us. Um, so although it was, although religion wasn't pushed on us kids at all, and it wasn't a central theme in any of our, 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 you know, our behaviors or anything, it was, it, it definitely was there. Um, so, but as far as the cannabis thing, you know, that that's a good question. How much of an influence that that played in, you know, the path that, that I've been set on or my, my father has been set on? It's a good question. It's a question that might be better suited for him. It's one I've wondered myself, actually. Religion can play roles uh, growing up and then, you know, affecting if we're going to use cannabis even or not. Um, right. Yeah. So I was just curious how that may maybe affected you. Uh, so to try to blend this in um, with the school issue, it didn't make a big deal. It didn't also make a big deal with any kind of government, uh, state government stuff like DHS or anything. I mean, luckily. Not at that time. Yeah. Not at that time. So my parents were, uh, they, they split up when I was about three. And this was yeah, this was right before I split up that this happened. So they were still together when that happened. Um, and then uh, after they split up, I I, I think that, um, yeah, I think DHS we might have gotten a little bit uh, curious as to some of the activity, activities that were going on at my mother's house. 
And then this does start digging a little bit deep. And again, I don't mind talking about this stuff. It's, it's something that I think needs to be talked about. But um, there's some issues like uh, the one off the top of my head that I think might kind of put this into perspective. Um, but there's some issues that I, I do kind of get a little bit concerned talking about just for my parents' safety. Um, but so like one of the things off the top of my head was that, that I kind of did want to talk about and let people know um, just because it's part of my story and with the whole cannabis thing and everything. <clears throat> I started smoking cannabis. Well, I didn't start, but I will say that the first time that I ever smoked cannabis when I was like, I was, like four years old, um, my uh, yeah, just I'll just say it. I mean, it's, I think there's got to be a statute of limitations that's passed here. Um, my mother used to smoke pot with me when I was a child, um, and I I don't condone that in any way, shape, or form. What you know, what type of a, a bond or a relationship a parent has with their child is their own business, and I'm not going to step on that in any way. Um, but I don't condone that. Um, activity. So, I mean, basically, you you were affected at, at an early age. Were you able to um, reconcile that? I mean, was it a problem for you, or the, the cannabis wasn't a problem for me? Um, the the, in, the ingestion of cannabis as a child isn't a problem for me. I think I think some of the the things that were potentially an issue for me is that. Um, this is interesting. Um, we've been having a little therapy session here, but, um, but yeah, how do you, how do you get consent from a four-year-old as to whether or not they want to ingest a, a, a psychoactive substance? You can't really. And so that's what I, I take issue with. It's not the substance itself. It's just, you know, my mom was, I think being just a little bit too much of a friend. Actually, if you look across cultures, uh, and especially indigenous cultures, uh, tribal cultures actually children consuming um, psychoactive plants was not unusual true I think it only became an and this is why and this is how I'm tying it in is I think it became unusual with religion um, hmm. if that makes any sense to you uh, yeah it does it does and there was definitely a <clears throat> there's definitely a cultural hang up here that that makes this a, a difficult topic topic for me to, right. to to analyze you know um i guess yeah again the ingestion of the substance isn't a problem for me at all there were a lot of other things going on in the house you know we were a very poor family um so yeah and then cannabis was just kind of this you know relief and escape that i you know it was a medicine that i think my parents used for this type of relief and it's just i don't know it it's 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 interesting I, perhaps with something like some kind of a, a guideline of some kind of a religion or something. Maybe it, it could work out better. I don't know. Well, I think that kind of is where the older cultures and tribes did was it was part of things like your puberty, you know, uh, uh, your rite of passage. Um, a lot of times psychoactive substances were used as medicines without the fear of some sort of, you know, loss of, I don't know your mind. I mean, I don't know, you know, for instance, if you look at Northern Europe, they were using Amanita muscaria for their old generations and their children. Think it was given out as a food. You know, now if you look at how we view things, you know, obviously there's some issues when it comes to making choices for your children. Um, right. 
being what that is, uh, we also allow things like, like psychoactive Tylenol or ibuprofen. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting conversation, man. I really appreciate you know the broaching on this. It, it makes me realize, like I said, that question about how influential was religion might be better suited for my parents. But having this conversation makes me realize that you know, like that decision that my mom had to smoke with me, it probably was rooted quite a bit in, in her ideology and her religion. She's quite a bit more religious than my dad, I think. I think she, I think she felt a little bit, you know, righteous in, in that perhaps, you know, she had a little bit of a religious background that, that may have affected the, the big picture. Yeah. Needless to say, I mean, it didn't affect the fact that cannabis as a psychoactive substance was not, I mean, it was used in your household. Did Was it regularly used in terms of it was just incorporated daily? Yeah, when they could get it. Do you think that's why he started growing? I mean, why, why, why do you know? <laughs> Absolutely. That's why yeah. he started. Yeah, he, he just wanted his medicine. That's, you know, how all of this came to. He just wanted his meds. Did, did you guys spend time growing up uh, helping other people in terms of just generosity? Like, uh, from what I've heard, yeah, he has this rep, he had this reputation in Eugene back when he used to frequent here a little bit more often. But yeah, he was, you know, people just kind of looked at him with this, this awe. And I always assumed that's what it was. Right. He, he probably he sold a lot of cheaper, gave a lot of deals, gave a lot away. Did cannabis put pressure on your family life? growing up absolutely so we're on drugs yeah absolutely yeah yeah I, i'm still reeling from it i'm i'm not sure if i'll ever um get over some of the trauma that i've been through mostly just poverty induced shit uh these people uh for instance like your father even you, any any of us that have been in the black market which wasn't too long ago i think a lot of us do have ptsd mm-hmm I mean, I, I, I know that sounds, I don't know if that sounds extreme or if we're... No, not at all. You know, no, it, it, no when, you, when you look at uh, soldiers who come back from war, I mean, were we the one that classified this the war on drugs? Right. We do, I, don't think that, I don't think it was the counterculture that came up with that name. If, it's, if the government that came up with the war on drugs, then we've been at war. They've yeah. been at war with us. And, and yeah, war is extremely psychologically traumatic, physically traumatic, emotionally traumatic, financially traumatic. It's fucking trauma right 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 i mean you can hear it in the tone of the way i just said fucking (laughs) well and and i can also hear the effect it's had over the years it's something that you know i can i mean i'll be honest i can drive down the street fully legal you know nothing going on no cannabis you know my car is ultra clean just kicking it and I'm still looking at cops go by me, you know, that that's part of the PTSD is just like, oh, what, a, you know, Arr. we're still in it, too, though, is the thing we're, we're still in it. Um, and they they still kind of have us by the balls, I believe um, they to use air quotes, the, the forces that be the money, people, government, um, prohibition mongers. They they still kind of have this under wraps. Um, but let's see how I can how I can bring this to an example say, say like your Oregon rooted thing like if that's a if that's a cannabis oriented business and you're paying taxes on that you have to be looking over your shoulder still you're yes. still in this this form of prohibition you're still at war 
And, and until that stops, I mean... Well, no, that's actually a very, very, very good point. Now we're under regulation, and if your T's aren't crossed and your I's aren't dotted, et cetera, et cetera, it could become... Lose everything. You could lose everything. And then people are living under that, that fear on a day-to-day basis. It, it's just something that kind of carried over from, you know, prohibition. It's still there, psychological. I, I find that it's the older generation still carrying us. You know, people are still buying, you know, DJ and people are, st- and people are definitely buying yours. People are still looking for those uh, black market days in terms of, strains and and even nostalgia i mean i i i have absolutely looked like i think part of the reason why i'm so lucky to grow your strains is that there's nostalgia and love behind it right sure so there's that and then there's terpenes too well and then absolutely and then there's an entourage effect that's going on with dj's work that i just don't think you find in a lot of other gear on the market um yeah so that's one of the interesting dynamics about you know, this, all this, this prohibition and the war on drugs and those post-traumatic stress and all the shit we're talking about. Um, it's like trying to, I like the term herding cats. You try and you can't herd cats. It just doesn't work. So all of this effort that all of these people, them, they money, people, capitalists, um, there, you can't, you can't control the Turks. You can't, nobody's going to be able to, to corner that. The entourage effect, um, they can try all they want. Um, yeah, it's got stoned. It's, it, no, it's good. I'm glad <laughs> you must be smoking some of that JD short stuff. <laughs> it's this new F6, F13, man. I just made, we haven't come up with a name yet. DJ's thinking about second set. Is one of the names. I really like this herb. Apparently it sounds like it's really good. Um, I had just posted recently about your Rosaberry and geez, man, like you've absolutely killed it with the high CBD. Thanks, man. I, I don't know what to say because I've grown, you know, I've grown straight ACDC. I've grown uh, Charlotte's Web. Um, I've grown, you know, a handful of the, the top tops, the standards and um and yours just came out i don't know what that blueberry did but it just it seems like it stabilized everything that's wrong about Hmm. a high cbd does that make sense yeah i think so i think what maybe what you're seeing is hybrid vigor yeah which you should see in the other crosses as well i guess the only thing that makes me think there might be more hybrid vigor in um the rosaberry is that f4 blueberry boy I mean, uh, yeah, so DJ did select him for specific points of homozygosity. I think I got it this time. Nice. So, uh, so it, that would make sense. So my assumption is that uh, the Rosaberry is more of, it has more F1 hybrid vigor than a lot of the other high CBD strains that we're seeing out there, which would, would be evident in the way that it grows and the bag appeal, the terpene production and stuff. That's a great strain. A lot of people like that one. So let me give you an example. When I grew the Charlotte's Web, it, it grew well, but it was airy and just kind of typical of a high CBD. You know, it, it tasted good, smelled good, but it it was just that. It was just... It was a little of, harsh. Yeah, it was just kind of just... It wasn't necessarily mid-shelf, but it really definitely wasn't top shelf. And um, 
when I finished the Rosaberry, it was just, it was dense, solid, smelly. One of the, sm I mean, I, it still stinks up my bedroom. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Got that potent, pungent. It, yeah. What was the one you said, the other one you said, Harley Sue? Uh, you mean what I've grown? Yeah. That and Charlotte's Web, yeah. Charlotte's Web, and those are pure CBD, I think, aren't they? Yeah, same with the ACDC. I think ACDC is pretty pretty high on that. Um, That's probably part of what you're seeing, too. Those pure ACDC lines, I think, are more derived from uh, from hemp. Yeah. And yeah, and so the rosemary is a one to one THC, and the you know CBD. It's it, it it I think they classify it as hemp, but it's more of a hybrid. Whereas those other ones are kind of pure hemp. They they kind of smoke a little bit more like it as well. You know, honestly though, I mean, you could this flower is so good. You could flip flop it for any high THC. Not that <laughs> people. Yeah, all the time. not not that you could, you know, I wouldn't recommend flipping that on the people on, do all the time. I, uh, I hear doing people, <laughs> I've had people ask me like, well, I don't know. Should I do this? And I'm like, look, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not even going to answer <laughs> You do whatever you got to do. I, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear you. So let's get into this. I, I, I don't want to switch too hard, but geez, man. So you went from taking nugs and stealing from uh, your father, uh, you know, mentioning that, you know, I don't think you said that there was no like air filters at the time. Like your, your bedroom probably stank like a skunk or. <laughs> it did stink. Right towards the end of me living there, right before I moved out, I think he ended up getting a carbon filter. But yeah, but for years there is no carbon filter. Now, here's the deal. There's probably a lot of your life. I don't necessarily know a lot of people know. Now, you worked in Switzerland with Breeder Steve. And that started in what, 2000? 2001, actually. I was right before, I came back like a month or two before September 11th, I think. It was a trip. It was just a weird timing to come back from Switzerland. But yeah, so it was like 2001. I was like 22 or something, 23, 21, right around that age or mid early 20s. I was only over there for five months. So it was like a little intern mentorship or whatever. But I, from what I remember hearing at that time when I was there, I was I had been the, the longest uh, shop worker there. Like I had been there longer than anybody else. So I, I always felt proud of that fact. How did you ever make it out there? So uh, my dad met Steve in probably the late 90s, I would assume. I'm, and then as well as assumption, again, I'm assuming through Mark Emery. Um, and then, uh, they became friends and then Steve was out there in Switzerland doing whatever Steve does. I, I don't know how the hell he was over there. That guy is everywhere. Um, and then, and so my dad, I think my dad probably asked him or Steve said, you know, I need to help. And my dad said, well, send my son out there. And then he asked me and I said, shit, yeah, I'll go to Switzerland, work on a canvas farm. I had seen articles in high times of the, the operations he was doing up there. So when I had the opportunity to go, I jumped at it. Well, absolutely. Now, these were legal operations in Switzerland. Is that, is, am I understanding that right? Yes. They had a license. They had, and it was in either German or Italian. I don't remember what language. So I couldn't read it. I got, I ended up getting pictures of it and I, I don't know where the pictures are. I, I took over 50 rolls of film while I was there. 
and that was one of one of the roles. I still have like twelve roles to develop because it it got too much after a while. I just gave wow. up, and all the were the same. But I still have a couple roles, and uh, one of the roles I couldn't find was the picture of the damn license I took. But uh, so yeah, they had a license, and from the way it was explained to me, the license was set up to breed for terpene production and terpene development. They were doing some kind of government studies on terpene. This is the way I understood it. It was explained to me. And for who knows who who bought the contract, you know, I don't know the tide laundry soap or something. I have no idea. Um but so yeah, they were out there growing shitloads of plants in Switzerland. They had an indoor thing going on, they had an outdoor thing going on. I spent most of my time at the in the indoor facility. It's really interesting that you say they were testing terpenes because I've often wondered if cannabis itself isn't a very good vehicle or I don't know what the right word is, but a it's like it's a plant that almost seems like it gives us availability to, uh, I mean, almost all terpenes. Does that make sense? It does. From what I've heard, I've never looked this up. I'm um, uh, Cannabis has one of the largest, if not the largest array of, of terpene um terpenes of any natural plant or i think right uh which makes me wonder with all the breeding that we've done or potentially could do we i mean we might be able to literally use cannabis as a harvester of terpenes i mean yeah i, I hate to say that but geez man like people talk about you know instead of going out and having to harvest lavender and harvest this terpene and that terpene and this is we could have one plant that we just basically allow us to produce whatever terpene we decide we want shit there you go i didn't really think of that but you know no, i was just having this conversation with somebody just yesterday um that uh, as a community as an, as an industry and um, and counter as a culture and everything that's what we're actually doing um, I don't, a lot of people don't really talk about it too much, but I think that's because a lot of people don't really understand what it is that we're doing here. But you know, we're breeding terpenes. We're refining and breeding terpenes. That's what all, is, as far as I'm concerned right now, I haven't thought about it. I haven't thought it through. But in this moment right now, as far as I'm concerned, that's what all breeding is. Cannabis breeding and breeders are doing. They're just uh, looking for the terpenes and honing in on them. The reason I, yeah, now I'm thinking it through, it just, it makes more sense to me. The way that I operate, the way that I breed, um, literally is like that, that silly cartoon sketch of, you know, the cartoon figure being picked up by the pie fumes coming out the window. That is literally exactly how I breed. I follow my nose. My nose takes me to what I want to smoke. Um, and, and, and in doing that, I'm pretty sure that, you know, that's, how my body is going to find the cannabinoids and the, and the other chemical substances that I'm looking for. It's going to be through my nose. Um, so although there are lots of things in cannabis that we're breeding for, there are lots of cannabinoids, like this, this new one that they just found. I forget the name of it, the one that they're saying is 100 times more potent than THC. Yes, um, yes. We, we couldn't test for that part because... As far as my understanding of the science goes, there was no model to test it against. They didn't know what the substance was. They just found it. Correct. Right? That's my understanding of it. So prior to them being able to test for this substance, the only way to find it was with your nose. And I guarantee you that there were certain people out there, breeders out there, who have been following their nose towards that, that compound for years without even knowing it. 
before there was a test for it. Interesting. That's why I say that as far as I'm concerned right now in this moment, that's what all of breeding is following this trail of terpenes. Right, right, right. And, and you know, the, the funny part about that is that's so subjective. Sure. So, I mean, like what's good for you might not be good for me. You probably run into this where people request certain terpenes because of certain things. And no, I can't, I can't say that I've ran into that. So I ran into the exact opposite, actually, the reverse, which is where it uh, doesn't appeal to me particularly, but there's enough people out there that, that like the Rosaberry is a great example. If it would have came down to, okay, yeah, there's a good, good uh, uh, so if I would have only been breeding with my nose, I would have never made the Rosaberry. Um, and once I made the Rosaberry and I became exposed to those terpenes that I was trying to avoid, I, I, I really appreciated it. Um, so that kind of contradicts exactly what I just said just a second ago. <laughs> um, but so there's a, there's a dance in there. There's a balance in there, I think, between, you know, following your nose and figuring out the plants and all the other substances and stuff. Like... I don't think we've talked enough about Switzerland. I, you, you, when you were in Switzerland, you actually were able to work with a ton of strains, right? Weren't you doing work on breeding and strains there? Yeah, shitloads of them. It's good. I'm not sure if I would classify them as strains, though. Lots and lots of seeds grew. Lots and lots of different seeds. Yeah, I don't have the educational background to know the, the proper lingo or whatnot, but um. There, there. In my understanding, there are really only so many crosses out there. Um, the way it was explained to me back then in the early 2000s from Breeder Steve, if I remember correctly, he said there was only somewhere around 200 different cultivars globally. Like he said, between like 200 or 300. And I think I've estimated since then myself, just being involved in this 20 years later. Um, yeah, somewhere around 160 to 200. You know, different unique cultivars um and now, so although we, we grew we, we grew seeds from uh maybe maybe 500 different crosses maybe a thousand different crosses there probably was only 70 maybe 50 to 70 different cultivars in there what are you terming a cultivar and how do you come to that conclusion mm. My nose, <laughs> <laughs> my nose, and the way the plant looks, the way that it feels—that uh, would be the the first indication for me. Okay. Um, the, the the second thing that kind of brings me to that conclusion is just my understanding of the gene pool and the way that it's evolved uh, since the beginning of time, since we understand it, um, and that all of these things have evolved from different land masses, regions of origin. Um, and there are only so many different regions of origins globally, so there can only be a certain amount of recombination of those. Um, there's only a certain amount of environments globally, so there can only be a certain amount of recombination of those. Um, and here in the United States, we've been working basically in one environment since we started evolving this gene pool. So from our perspective, there's even the gene pool that we're working in and what I refer to as the Western uh, cultivar, Western drug cultivar is even more limited. There's even fewer recombinations. There's even fewer environments. I don't know how much of that made sense. 
No, it makes a lot of sense. So this is what I'm asking, I guess, is that does Switzerland um, play a big role with terroir? I mean, like, am, do I need to look for some strands coming out of Swiss? I'm no, I don't think so. Um, so the reason that, that Steve got involved in the Operation Switzerland, from the way that I understand it, and I forget if this was explained to me firsthand or if this was one of the things that I just picked up by being a, 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 a observational. But so in Switzerland, uh, they ended up getting the permits and the license and a, and a government-backed um, license, but they didn't have access to genetics in Switzerland. They just had shit. They had hemp and, and shit. Um, Steve brought the genetics. That's, from my understanding, that's how Steve got involved with the people in Switzerland. He somehow contacted them before all this went down and said, well, I, I have seeds and was able to prove it. And they said, all right, we'll come over and bring your seeds. Wow. Well, and then he also had the ability to. I, I hope I didn't just send everybody in Switzerland to jail. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. I, uh, I mean, I don't think so. There's seeds. You know, now we have the farm bill and everything. So, I mean. I mean, like, what kind of things were you doing there? It's really interesting to think that you're just playing around in Switzerland and not giving me the details, man. Like, well, I was the grunt worker. I did basically all of the grunt work. I did everything from mix the water to take the, the clones of the mother. I even at one point started doing selective work. Um, Steve just kind of, he, at one point, about halfway through my, my experience there, he just let go of the reins and was like, all right, do whatever, you know, do whatever you're going to do. He kind of left me to my own there. Um, from my understanding, if I'm not mistaken, I was the one that selected the mail for the moonshine rocket fuel. And I don't know the name of this mail. I've got pictures of it. Um, and this was a mail that Steve used for a bunch of different things at that point. If, if I'm not mistaken, I, I want to say, I'm Steve will correct me. I hope at some point somewhere on some podcast, like a little shit was talking about his crap. Um, but I think I thought I had some hand in, in doing some selective work for the Rosebud, uh, which was a pretty popular thing that got released um, as well. So I was doing like selective work. I was watering plants, I was trimming. I was, you know, planting seeds. They had mothers in the backyard. My favorite thing to do there is they had the section in the, the backyard of this warehouse that they had there. And I actually got yelled at at one point. Steve said I was spending too much time back there because I would just put plants back there and hang out back there with plants. <laughs> Man. So Steve was opening up seeds and he was, it was a breeding program. Um, when I first showed up there, he was just finishing up the uh, grapefruit. Um, so I was, I got to see the, the end of, one of the production crops for the, the grapefruit. Um, and he, he was testing out some Ortega, some plum bud. That's when I first got there. Um, and so he would just test out these seeds. He had a huge uh, mother section where he would keep mothers of the seeds he was testing out and he would select the best ones and he would breed them forward. Were they running any kind of technology that was any different than what we're seeing now? Mm, swamp coolers. I mean, I've seen them now. I just, I mean, I've seen them before. I just don't see them anymore now. I couldn't believe they had them there in Switzerland. It was such a humid place and they had the place just hooked up wall to wall with these swamp coolers <laughs> and water everywhere. It was, I mean, even it's funny. I was in Nubia. I was baffled. 
they weren't getting like fungus or PM issues or anything. Oh, nothing. sure. 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 Yeah. Part of a breeding program. Yeah. Absolutely. It, did anything come out good of those testing? I mean, what came out of that whole pro project? Good question. Um, a lot of stuff. So we can isolate it by the timing. It was 2001. So basically everything Breeder Steve released before. So between 2001 until like 2003, it's a high likelihood of a possibility that I had something Somehow I helped with that. At least I helped water the damn plant. <laughs> Dude, that's it. I mean, come on, man. That You kept it alive. Yeah, I'm stoked for them. I was stoked for the experience. I bet. I bet. How long were you there? Five months. That's it? a pretty brief amount of time, yeah. I, I mean, mean you guys, I was there longer than my passport said I was supposed to be. Well, they didn't stamp it, so I could have stayed longer. But. <laughs> have to start getting a visa there or something, right? Workers permit or some shit. <laughs> I tell them I'm working on a tulip field somewhere. Well, it's really cool though, that I hear about Switzerland doing that. I don't hear a lot about them anymore on that stuff. Do you think they're still doing some, I mean, do you know the laws over there? I don't know the laws. And I, I wondered what happened in that program. Um, I've, I've, I've since seen, quite a few operations like that, quite a few deals that are worked out between, you know, governments and, um, and my sense of the way that that one probably played out is it fizzled out pretty hard. I, I'm not sure what information, what data the, the government was trying to get from the license, but I'm hard pressed to believe that they got whatever it was they were looking for. Yeah. Now, uh, what are you finding your strains are good for does that make sense like if i'm gonna search out your strains what can i count on generally um i can tell you what i count on first of all i like your terpenes and second of all uh your especially the rosa berry and such it's very medicinal i get a lot of pain relief i have a lot of arthritis issues and uh, it's been so effective so oh, cool. do you find anything people generally are pleased about when it comes to uh, what your strains have to offer? I would say that the terpenes are probably the one that I hear the most on. Um, I'm, I don't think the demographic of the, the people that I'm promoting to are very nuanced on the details of effect. Um, and I think that's because, you know, myself and and the demographic of people that I'm, I'm targeting, I think we smoke a lot. Um, I think we smoke a lot of this, uh, more indica stronger uh, couch lockers, I think is what we're looking for a little bit more. I tried your organ cutthroat. In fact, I was, I think I was like a kid in a candy store with that strain. Um, and I found it's, it's one of the most unique highs that I've ever had your that one is unique the cutthroat is not heavy no it's not and I, I, I like to get that tested at some point actually because there might be some cbd in there the the organ cutthroat is like a sativa without the energy does that make sense yeah yeah it's almost uh <laughs> it's almost bunkweed <laughs> I, I, I was not 
personally fond of the Oregon Cutthroat. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's great breeding stock, but as far as medicinal, I wasn't that into it. It's one of the reasons I didn't I didn't push it hard. I was a little bit concerned that it picked up the steam that it did. I was like, oh shit. Well, so using cannabis intently, it's actually been a good strain for me because, for instance, I took a three or four hour hike through the redwoods recently. Yeah. And I took the, I smoked the cutthroat intentionally through the trip. And Mm -hmm. it gave me almost like a mushroom experience. Not, not, Uh not like um, I would call visual. But it was a high that allowed me to be completely normal without any kind of change in energy either way. But it gave me such a head high that things were very psychoactive in a subtle way. I mean, isn't that weird? The redwoods are gorgeous. (laughs) It's better on psilocybin. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there. I, well, yeah, I had a wonderful trip in the redwoods on psilocybin once. I, the trees were talking to me and shit. It was, it was perfect. Do you mind talking about that for a second? No, I, it's just, it's, uh, we're shifting gears here so quick. I'm downshifting. I'm, I have a hard time in my brain. Like, it's skipping, well, jumping all. Yeah. And, and I know I'm switching pretty quick, but the fact is, is, you know, I, this is like, this is gold. Like what we talk about is gold, right? It's a good time to talk about that stuff too. What experiences have you had on other psychoactive substances like mushrooms? Oh, I've had a lot of them actually. I, I feel like um, the time in the Redwoods was phenomenal. It was, it was psilocybin, the golden cap, cubensis, closed capped. I think they were indoor um, fish tank which is rare that I'll have a trip like this on, on those. Usually I have a trip like this on the outdoor ones, but yeah. So I went there with my friend in my late twenties. Uh, what was the name of the forest? The ever raining, I think, or, or something about the name of the forest was ever raining or something. It was never, it just didn't, it never was dry. It rained a hundred percent of the time because the humidity, it would just drip out of the trees when it sure. wasn't raining. Um, and so we chose to camp there for whatever reason. And just got blasted on these mushrooms, must be eaten close to three grams, maybe three and a half grams. And sure enough, we, you know, you start having the trip and you can tell you're like, okay, it's going to be one of those. This is going to be amazing. Right. I remember at one point in time, I mean, you're already in the redwoods, you know, and those trees are so massive. They're so big. I mean, you can, you can fucking smell how big they are. Here's the deal. When you're in those redwoods, it's like Jurassic Park. It's Jurassic Park. You can smell how big they are it's like you can yeah. smell this massiveness around you i don't know how else to put it just hit me in the head just came to me like you can literally the the composting of the ground it's like the forest just smells different it smells ancient it smells ancient and it smells correct like when you go correct. in the redwood forest it's like mother nature is is at its prime prime and that's the experience that i had that's what ended up happening to me and i'm assuming it's what happened to my buddy too he ended up going catatonic about three quarters of the way through. He, <laughs> he maintained, which was good. You know, you sometimes you go catatonic and then the clothes start coming off and you jump in the fire. Like, <laughs> right. He maintained it. He, it, you know, right before he went catatonic, he just started giving me this look and he was like, like you know, you had the darn hard time getting the words, but he's like, I, I, I need to go for, I need to go for a walk and just get away from it. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I was like, do you mind if I go with you? He's like, okay, whatever. So I'm just following him along. 
And that was right in the height of the trip. And I'm peeking, it's dark too. It was nighttime. The sun had already gone down. It's pitch black in there. It's just dripping this water, you know, everywhere. You can just hear it dripping and you can just hear the dank. You can smell the dank. You can smell the, the Almost creepy. <laughs> it was extremely creepy, but at the same time, like I, you know, you could see silhouettes of the trees. And plus I remembered what it looked like from the daytime. Like, and I just, I was left with this impression of this massive awe, you know, of the trees and of the forest. There was this awe. So although it was extremely creepy, like there could have been a mountain lion or maybe there's, you know, some serial killer stalking us or even worse, maybe there's a <laughs> EE agent spying on us from the bushes. <laughs> Any of that, it, it didn't matter because the forest was there. And that's what ended up happening was that the mushrooms hit hard and I started blazing and going off into that world and having all those thoughts of like, well, what could happen? What's going to happen? But every time that would happen, I would just think of the forest would be like, well, I'm, I'm right here. And I would say, I ended up talking to the forest or walking under these trees. And I remember, um, just, I couldn't place these feelings that I was having. It was so confusing this that awe, that feeling of massive awe. And I remember thinking that being able to identify one of the what one of the feelings was was that it was the size of the trees, you know, the massiveness of the trees in the forest. And I just kind of remember looking up and and appreciating the trees and everything. But then I distinctly remember feeling and hearing the vibe back from the forest and from one tree in particular. You know, I looked up at the tree and I was like, "Oh my God, you're so beautiful! You're so massive! You're so huge!" And the tree kind of looked back down at me and it just, I got this feeling where the forest and the tree in particular, it said, it said, where have you been? And I just, I was like, I, I don't know. And then it said back to me and it just said, we've missed you. I missed you. Wow. And I just, we're, walk, we're walking, you know, and I'm kind of walking away and that's what the trend like, okay, holy shit. Well, I, I missed you too. Um, I'm here now. I don't know what to say. And we go and we sit down. I'm sorry. I just got to finish up the story. I've, I haven't told it for years and I always get excited. When, so I, I love get it. To that. So then we're, we go and we find this place to sit down, a little drainage ditch that had to have been just some little drainage ditch going out of the campground. But of course, under those conditions, it's the, you know, it's the fucking most beautiful creek in the world. And we're sitting there. And then the same thing started happening with the creek. I started having the, I couldn't understand the feelings, you know, and I, and I also kept trying to interact with my buddy because I, I was just, on the verge of freaking out myself of being like, what is all this? What's just happening to us? And he couldn't interact with me. And I just remember listening to the Creek and, and hearing the trickles of the water. And, uh, I kept asking, I was like, do you hear that? Like, what is the, what is that noise? Like, what is the water? That water's making this weird noise. And, and then, so anyways, I'm trying to spit the words out. It's, uh, you know, it's a private personal thoughts and feelings, but so, I asked him, I said, but the, the new, does it, doesn't it seem like the creek is saying something? Like, can't you hear that? Like, what is it? I couldn't figure it out. And then I finally, I just said it. I was like, well, no, I get it. It's the, the stream is it's perfect. It's saying it's perfection. And it was this really profound moment to me. Um, and I had already read Siddhartha at that point, but I didn't remember. Like, it was years before that I had read that book. Like, I was 15 years old when I had read this, that book. And so at this point in the mushroom trip, I'm like 25 or 26 or something. So it's like 10 years later. I didn't remember Siddhartha. I had no, there had to have been a, um, a subconscious assimilation there. But it wasn't until years later when I reread Siddhartha again. And I read the, the passage where the, the ferryman tells him to go down and listen to the river, the sound of the river. And he struggles to hear what the river's saying. But in that book, that's what 
he finally hears the river say it. It's, it's the Ohm. He hears the river say Ohm, which translates into English as perfection. It's what the water actually says. And so <clears throat> that moment of, of, of hearing that water and then that was just amazing. I'm fucking Redwoods, man. Hey, thanks for letting me tell that story. Let me make it clear. You just uh, made all your fans and listeners very happy. Um, and I appreciate this, JD. Um, this is, you know, what the person behind all the work that you've done is really important. Um, and I think that when we explore psychoactives, psychoactives in general are a very good self-awareness tool. Uh, they make you vulnerable. They make you think about things. They make you so self-aware sometimes it makes it very uncomfortable, I think, sometimes because you actually are in the moment with yourself and that's all you have. Now, what you talked about with the Redwoods, I mean, connecting with nature, I mean, is that not the very key of, of these plant medicines? Um, Absolutely. We, yeah, and, and what's your thought on that? Like, I mean, we spent... Now, I'm not going to have any, you know, confrontation here on religious beliefs, but uh, in, in terms of how I th see things, uh, there's a lot of evidence where we have grown and evolved with these plants. And in, in certain modern cases, we've been detached from them on purpose, and it's been very detrimental. And now that we're getting back to them, we are starting to see these medical and health benefits of being synergistic with the very, what I would call perfect system that we were designed in in the first place. Yeah. Well said. Have you had any other trips besides mushrooms like LSD, MDMA? Um, I've done a lot of them. The main ones I haven't done DMT. I was scared to do the DMT. I did do salvia. And um, you're scared to do DMT. <laughs> Yeah, what do you mean? What are you laughing at me for? <laughs> okay, well, so here's my experience. Um, salvia is like DMT, but salvia is like DMT without control. So, so with salvia, you know, you might wake up in your front yard with the cops cuffed around your back. <laughs> yeah. Whereas with DMT, you'll have the same trip, but you don't necessarily have to go anywhere. Well, I mean, I've struggled with just LSD before, you know. In terms of working through, you know, yeah. a trip. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I won't say afraid of DMT, but it's definitely all of the other drugs that I have dabbled in, there's been room to fit them in into some form of a recreational or play type of setting. The DMT, I just wasn't able to fit in there. I knew approaching that one, I was like, this is, this is not a fucking game. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And now that we got the cartridges, like, you know, honestly, we've tried the cartridge and it's an eight minute break from complete reality. Mm -hmm. um, but that's okay because with DMT, it's very welcoming. So there is no, I haven't had a, a bad trip. I've had overwhelming trips. But not, not like, not like on mushrooms where if I take like seven, eight grams of mushrooms, I have to really work at not going south. That's what I always loved about mushrooms. The, the, the mushrooms were my favorite. Me too. Most every other substance I've ever taken requires some amount of, you know, diligent 
some discipline to, to, to work through some shit before you can get to that other side. Mushrooms do too, but it's like, there's this, there's this, this disconnect and this relief with mushrooms that you just, I've never had a bad trip on mushrooms. I've, I've tried to every single time, <laughs> but you just, I get to this point and something clicks and goes, no, nope, no, thank you. And I just, nope, there's the most amazing experience I've ever had it just happened to me. And I often wonder, like, w- when I'm doing mushrooms, is that it teaches me things, like, randomly. I don't know if that makes sense, but, like, I'll be doing something, and I'll have this epiphany, if you will. And it's like my mind is presenting me these truths at the moment. And, you know, that's that's part of the pro. It's like, here, here you go, I'm a teacher, and here's your lesson do you want to accept that or not? Whereas with like acid and the other like uh, synthetic type drugs, MDMA and stuff, it's more of a heavier, dirty high. It's really weird. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. It does. It, 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 especially when you use the term teacher, like if you think of the two substances as actual like tutors or teachers or whatever, it's like mushrooms are just kind of like, if you're, if you're thinking of them as like tutors or whatever, mushrooms are just kind of like your chill uncle teaching you how to read, you know, Curious George. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't even give a shit if you read the book or whatever. LSD <laughs> is kind of like your religious teaching you a, a Bible passage on Sunday, you know? You know? Right. When you uh, get smacked on the, LSD will smack you on, on your fingers with a, with a ruler if you're not paying. <laughs> yeah, well, DMT will smack you on your ass if you don't listen either. <laughs> why I was afraid of DMT because I, I have this rebellious streak in me. I still haven't worn through that yet where if something... Tr- tries to force me to acknowledge something i i will play with it sometimes and if i don't want to acknowledge what the thing is forcing me to acknowledge and i can be a a shit oh absolutely and one thing i've noticed is that with mushrooms i can go into a trip with a intentional question meaning i need the answer to this and i'll go into that trip and at some point randomly I'll start getting some sort of answer. It may not be uh, the answer I want, blah, 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 but it's really weird when you go into that uh, head high with mushrooms and that teaching space, if you have intention with it, it seems like you get some sort of answers. Now, the difference being you just got to apply them, but a lot of people don't. That makes sense. You can see it. That's what I think those substances are really good for, and that's how they really teach us some of those most profound lessons is that I'm not even sure if they really teach us things as much as they just allow us to, to let down these guards that are preventing us from seeing them, how they actually are on, on those substances. Sometimes it's like, you just can't bullshit yourself. You don't have the energy or the time, you know, it's that, uh, uh, breaking down like the vulnerability part. That's why I said that in the original, when I said taking mushrooms, it makes you vulnerable. And that's the thing is like, some of those bad trips come from the fact that you go deep down inside. And when you're in there, you're going to see things that you may or may not want to deal with. Right. Yeah. So, but at the same time, even if you learn from it, are you going to apply it? That's the problem is everybody can have a mushroom trip and have some lessons, but whether you apply it or not is, is the. Just the other day, actually three grams 
going to toss this out there because I figured, shit, we are talking about it, aren't we? Yep. Um, yeah. So I had these old mushrooms. They were from Southern Oregon. I want to say 2018. They're pretty old. Uh, outdoor. I like those outdoor ones. Um, it was the last three grams that I had. I made some tea. Yeah, it worked okay, but I didn't really get off on them. And I figured they were pretty old. But um, I will say that I'm out of mushrooms now and I, I need more. So put that out there. <laughs> well, I think that you won't have a problem with that after our podcast. So, yeah, if you're ever down this area, you know we definitely have uh, different ways you can, different ways you can experience the the area. So, um, but we really appreciate that in terms of talking about the entheogens. Um, now, let's relate that to cannabis. One thing about cannabis is I will admit to this. I will admit that cannabis is a gateway drug, not to heroin, not to a life of some sort of horrible addiction or alcohol. But well, nobody was supposed to talk about that ever. What's that? <laughs> I'm not a gateway drug. What? What are you talking about? It's not a gateway drug like that. I think Cannabis is a stepping stone into awareness, into psychoactive awareness, if you allow it. So if you're, so if you define it that way, so then what is not a gateway drug? Well, I think anything that triggers you to uh, change your consciousness, aka psychoactive, can be a gateway to other psychoactives. Um. I just, well, I, I just, I, I will say about, sorry to interrupt, but no, go ahead. I like, I like this topic and I, I do, um, I have some thoughts on it, but yeah, so it was a gateway drug for me, but there were a lot of other substances I was experimenting with at that same time. And they were all gateway drugs, all of them. And I will also say that as far as psychoactive and mind altering substances, you know, some of the very first ones I did were over, all of them were over the counter. Some of them was sugar. Uh, well, and I'm going to just briefly touch this real quick that I've, okay, spent time away from drugs completely. And the one drug that has given me the most problem is sugar, <laughs> sugar, nicotine, man, Fucking sugar, alcohol. nicotine, alcohol, even caffeine, yep. pretty, pretty much the four or five drugs that mainstream society consumes are probably the worst. And you want to talk about a gateway drug? So, so to define something as a gateway drug, the reason I would define cannabis as a gateway drug is because it was one of the first substances that I specifically sought out to alter my, uh, my conscious. Um, and I knew that it was safe. And then once I experienced some of those states of altered conscious, I had more of an inclination to, to seek out other states of, of altered consciousness. Um, can I cannabis played a role in that? I don't know how much of a role it played in that, but the curious thing about it is that if if it hadn't have been cannabis that opened up my my curiosity and that it would have been another substance, and I would have eventually smoked cannabis as one of those substances anyway. So how much of a that's why I'm trying to define like what what we define as gateway and and you know and I guess you can say gateway could be a positive or negative thing. So you have to really define it. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think I was saying. And I think the, the main reason I think most people go to cannabis as a gateway drug is because it's the safest one on the face of the earth, period. And it's also the one that is tolerated in terms of side effects. And it's also the one that has the most health benefits. Yeah. And so, so I, I think that being the default is a good gateway drug because exactly <laughs> all the more power to it as a gateway drug. I mean, well, and yeah. that's, and that's exactly what I was getting at is I am, conf I can fully admit to cannabis being a gateway drug into much more better medicines that I didn't realize were out there because of the bullshit and propaganda that I've been fed since. Yeah. You know, but yeah. Or or check it out like this. Say cannabis is your gateway drug to fucking heroin or something. Like, oh, that's horrible. That's terrible. That's really unfortunate. But check it out. At least you have this this back this this backup of cannabis. What you can fall back to after you're done with your heroin trip. Well, and that's the thing is that it's been not only a um, gateway drug. It's been a get out of jail card. Exactly. Because think about it this way. What if your gateway drug to heroin was fucking Adderall? Then you're right. screwed. You're screwed. What are you going to do then? Yep. So it's really weird. So to me, the, the gateway part is to the med medicinal part of nature. That's its gateway. Yeah. Um, and it eases you into the heavier things like uh, like psychedelics. Um, if you didn't have, like, I'll tell you this, I'll admit this right now. When I do psychedelics, I use cannabis during that trip. Um, I use it for the come up and the come down because mm -hmm. it's a very nice pillow to ease you into that spot. And it's a pillow to ease you back out of that spot. Yeah. That's a great way to take the word back then. Yeah. And gateway I, uh, other nature. Yeah. And so gateway, hell yeah. Gateway to back where I was meant to be. Yeah. Gateway um, home. I have never smoked bulls all day long and thought I better go smoke some heroin. <laughs> but I sure have smoked bulls all day long and thought I should take some mushrooms. <laughs> There's some sort of tie there where mm -hmm. people that do cannabis have a relationship with other psychedelics and it's medicinal. There's things that are happening that are yeah, positive. I think, I, I think for a lot of us who have... Uh, been in, in involved in the cannabis community for a long time or whatever. Our our chemical makeups, our chemistry, are we're, they're ready for that. The next step in in the Entheon ladder, so to speak. Well, I, I think what's really happening with mushrooms in particular, and cannabis as well. Cannabis is another good example. At least those two substances. I don't know about many of the other ones we were talking about. Is that um uh. So the human humans are in the human brain. It's like we're literally hardwired to be able to detect a truth from a lie. I mean, it's kind of what what our our psychological makeup. It seems like I don't know. I'm really just gonna start rambling. But, um, and I think that that's part of the reason that we have this draw to uh, cannabis initially, and now uh, mushrooms is the next one. Is that it, it's like under these substances we we don't deny ourselves access to at least acknowledging certain truths. And right now, I mean, in the, in the age that we're living in, we're in such a state of denial that, you know, I, I think there's a huge, there's a craving for, for those types of experiences and substances. Are you going to continue using them? Yeah. Um, like I'm 
yeah, and especially having this conversation now, and I'm excited, you know, for the future. I I went through a phase myself where I'd say a good solid five to seven years, maybe even ten, going on ten for the LSD. I I got curious about mushrooms again about three to four years ago, but I went through a good solid phase there where I was, you know, I was I was scared to. to to question my own experience, my own perception, my own reality with these substances because it was just too much. Sure. Um, but so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited and, and kind of ready to, to get back into that. And there's tosses out there, you know, we can fucking thank Trump for that type of shit. <laughs> and you can only push people so far before they decide to fight back and protect what they believe to be their reality and their perception. Absolutely. And do you think that carries on to psychoactive? I mean, we're looking at, I think we're looking in the future at psychoactives being very, um, like it's going to have an effect on our political scene. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I was trying to tie into. I think that that's just to kind of pick on Trump and the government and politics as an example that that leaks down into everything else we do in our lives, our media, our entertainment, everything. It's in everything. This type of um, this inauthenticity we're surrounded by it or whatever. And so I, I think that's why there's this this push in our in our society to to experiment in that is is precisely what I said. I mean, you can only push people so far. Uh, people are willing to to deny um, certain things, but at a certain point you can't herd a cat. People will find a way to experience the reality that they need to. And if that's mushrooms, then that's what's going to end up happening. Right. And, and like things aren't necessarily for everybody. You can have enlightenment and um, experience medicine in different ways. It's just that plants are one of the ways that we're directly connected with nature absolutely yeah so so these things might not these substances might not be for everybody but it, it only takes you know a, you don't, if there's only a few feathers that are misaligned on the dart you only takes a few to put them back and to get it back on the right path exactly well said well said talking about you know just taking a few realigning just a couple of those feathers on the the dart to get it back on track I'm, i'll try and be a feather and i'll just say right now bernie fucking sanders god damn it so what we're up against right now is capitalism, and 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 that's why, that's why there was a war on drugs. That's why there's a JD short. That's why you're talking to me is because of fucking prohibition, which is a result of capitalism. Period. That's what we're dealing with right now. That's the reality that nobody wants to look at. And Bernie Sanders is ready to start the conversation. I don't know what that means, what the conversation is going to look like, what it's going to, ha- what what actions are going to come from that conversation. But I'm ready for the conversation. That's all. Yeah, for sure. Capitalism is not, it's not working anymore. It just isn't. Right, now, now we're just in the most boring of topics you can get to. <laughs> we were talking about, uh, just real quick, I, I, in the back of my mind, I remembering we were talking about uh, what people, what you thought, what I thought people were drawn to in my strains. Um, and I had said terpenes. But I wanted to, to kind of wrap that up with, I, although initially I think that they're drawn to them by terpenes, I think the reason they come back is because of the terpenes is the first reason, but ultimately it's because of the effect. I do think there's an effect thing going on there with uh, DJ's F4. 
So you nailed it. Um, I think that people search out that flavor, but on the back end, they want to have that medicine. Yeah, a lot of times I think people don't even like myself. I don't even notice I want that medicine. It's just kind of I'm like I just think I like that. I'm like I just like this smoke. I, I don't know why. <laughs> I think that's one inherent problem with buying strains in dispensaries is you can smell them. They can smell good. Is it going to give you that right feel? Uh, well, that's something you just can, that's trial and error there. Oh yeah. You made some, um, you're going to grow your seeds this year. Absolutely. Um, we are still dedicated to you. If you want us to grow your strains, um, uh, anything I got, yeah, you made some of your own, didn't you? Some, yeah, so we're going to, um, we did a, several crosses. We did um, the Sour V times Organ Cutthroat. We did the Banner times the Organ Cutthroat. We did, um, let's see, we did the, it really, I think this is going to be our hit, our hitter, is we did a cross between, um, the plumberry kush and a chocolate and i'm i'm very hopeful for that because the chocolate has some la confidential and some old school strains that were developed um how, pretty nice how did you run all those different males uh, what do you mean? How I, I, I'm a master of breeding. <laughs> no, that's not true. Uh, very effective use of my land. Nice. Um, nice, nice. so just different parcels. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's yeah. And on, and honestly, um, um, you know, we, we had to do the whole branch thing. So everything Greenberg has showed me of his sour V crosses, both the, females and the males that he's crossed to stuff and with stuff is everything that those touch turns bomb so that should be a good cross that Oregon cutthroat and the cerve and then yeah your chocolate and plumberry that's a kind of a no-brainer that should be kind of interesting actually well really that plumberry was so that thing it, this thing was was it one of the black leaf ones um, it, not on the plumberry, but the, the actual, like the, the, the flower site, the flowers and the stems were all just fucking dark. The chocolate stuff you got, stock you got or where that came from, but that should be interesting. I'm, a, I'm assuming that, you know, that should be some pretty chocolate stock. I mean, I hate to, to, to pull names that I'm, you know, I don't want to lean on other brands as descriptive terms, but yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that should be pretty chocolate leaning um it it should be um i've dealt with that strain for the last four years and i've worked with the farm that works with that strain and i've seen them develop it and these guys are legit it's cloud wave organics and they're up like portland area but nonetheless uh they've developed that chocolate line and those if you look at my ig if you look back at that really crazy looking uh ob strain on my uh, IG, it's way back. It's, oh, it's right there. It's the red one. It says, uh, still can't remember these genetics. Uh, smells like uh, blueberry muffins. It's got a red, like all the flowers are red. This is a chocolate, yeah. Right? Yeah, well, that's, that's um, actually, that's the OB. It's, I can't remember what strain that is, but that came from the same place. Nice. 
The chocodile is the one I was talking about, and that is below it. So that chocodile is an LA confidential a lineage of LA confidential New York City diesel and chocolate. Mm. So we added your cross of the plumberry, which is the purple unicorn and blueberry. So I mean, you're looking at five strong strains. I mean, LA Confidential, New York City Diesel, Chalk Lope, and the Blueberry. I'm curious what type of flowering time you'll have on that. Um, but I, I see that one being huge. Next to the Sour V plus the um, plus the uh, Organ Cutthroat. Yeah, but we also did, we did some other really good crosses. We did Organ Cutthroat with Blue Cookies. Nice. And I think that blue cookies was so strong. It didn't give a fuck about the bugs. It didn't give a fuck. Mold, mildew, bugs, don't give a fuck. Um, it just powered through. So that cross might be good. And then we crossed uh, OCT and Plumberry with white or with wedding cake. No, the OTC should all turn out nice. The pro progeny from those I've all been seeing turn out, look really good too. Lot, yeah. A lot of people using that for breed stock. It's awesome. That's what I was hoping people would use that for. So you think that my crosses will be okay? I mean, you think that'll work out? I mean, you got to grow the seeds to, to see, but <laughs> they all sound fire. I mean, you using the plumberry kush and sour bee and an Oregon cutthroat male. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Everything I've seen those sour V that Judas tested out, he, he also did some releases through see the people. I've seen some, some of those, I'm pretty sure those look dank. And then everything I've seen the Oregon cutthroat be crossed to, whether it's male or female, all of those progeny look good. I haven't heard one uh, report of hermaphrodism from the progeny of those either, though they must be there. But nobody has said anything. Um, well, and I'd really like to bring the beauty of the organ cutthroat to the medicinal properties of other plants. Not saying that that organ cutthroat doesn't have you know medicinal properties, but because like I said, dude, certain situations that organ cutthroat can make. Like if you're driving to Portland, yeah, smoke a blunt of that organ cutthroat. What you should hopefully see in some of the progeny of those is some of that resin leaf the taco resin leaves so high resin production and then those, those blood red colors i'm not sure what percentage i guess that depends on which are what the male you picked uh right and uh just to make note i also crossed durban poison with everything this year where'd you get the durban from um so i got the durban through hermetic genetics i crossed the durban poison with the uh sour v what happened is my wife brought home a handful of seeds of the Durban from from uh, from Esteban, and I was really out. You got seeds of it? Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. yeah. So I grew those out, and I picked the best male out of the ones I grew, and cut everything else out. And it was a solid male. Like I mean, again, just I crossed that one. We'll see that how that works. It was a bright, bright green, though. I mean, definitely no no special you know looks to it or anything like that but you keep mothers you make mom um i'm working on it i need obviously i need to have a full functioning indoor my problem is i have enough indoor to run so like right now we're we're gonna select seeds like right now we're literally in the middle of selecting seeds 
and then come like March 1st, we'll probably start, um, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Germinating. And then by mid mid March, we'll probably be planting. And then from there on it's indoor until end of May. And then, uh, we'll go outdoors, but I just don't have the room during the dark, dark winter to, you're going to come across that one plant, that one in a thousand from your sour V times Durban poison or whatever. See, see, that's the problem is if my sour V times OCT comes out fire, I'm going to have to figure out, I'm going to have to f- figure that shit out. So no, you just keep some seed stock. With it. I, I, I will. Uh, the challenge is, is that, you know, I've only got like, you know, so many yep. square yards. So I'm tr- so to try to separate the males is, is difficult. Um, but it works. So, um, my one question is this, you know, after we talked the last time, uh, I had talked to some listeners about what you had said about my post with your OCT that was, um, mango, not man. It was just, it grew funny. Mm-hmm. And I had a overload of emails come in after we talked where they were talking about it would be a great hash plant. Yeah. Yeah. You saw it. Did you see the response on my page? Yeah, exactly. And I'm wondering like if that's not where I should be going is straight making a hash plant. Um, I don't know. It depends on what, what your interests are. I mean, well, I'd like a good concentrate plant shit that I, I run all day right now. So the application that that would be used for and in, in concentration, you would, you would have to, I mean, cause you ma- imagine how sparse it is. It would have to be a huge plant. Um, and then you got to figure out a whole new way to process it because it, it doesn't, you know, it's not normal buds. It's just bracts on a stem. Um, I just, if, if you're talking about, for, for hobby purposes, and that's something that you have passion in seeing homogenized in, in some seeds, then I would say go for it. If you're, but if you're looking to uh, make a, a mark or a name or something, I, I don't think that there's going to be too much um, interest in that on a hobby level. That. Yeah, and that makes sense. I, I guess my hobby levels don't really include most people. <laughs> Cause I run a lot of concentrate. <laughs> well then that, you know, so then if that's what you, yeah, man. So then if that's what your application for the plant is, you know, then you, you would consider that it's just, so I, for me, I'm a little bit more in the mindset of, um, I'm a capitalist <laughs> and, um, it's a little bit easier for me to, to buy, the smoke that I want than it is for me to actually make it. I think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that I don't own my own home though, you know, and I'm renting and I, you know, I can't grow huge plants in my yard and concentrate them in my garage. Um, Maybe if I had all of those resources at my disposal, I might get a little bit more into, you know, design the plants. I was going to say, I think I have smaller area than you. So this is where I'm at. This is what I'm dealing with, right? I think you had asked me last time, what, so what have you been working on lately? And I just kind of stammered right off the get-go of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, but I had five um, 24-hour inspection notices last year. Oh, shit. Yeah. 
So that's what I'm dealing with. That's your landlord. He's that much of a dick. So what happened last year was the rental agency that I had been renting from for years and years and years, for whatever reason, chose to end my contract and they sold my contract to a new rental agency. Um, That rental agency had to come in and do the inspections and they were total slumlords. They did not have their shit together. They didn't show up for appointments and stuff like they were horrible. So they ended up serving, I think, three or four of them. And then our relationship soured and then they transferred my contract to a third rental agency. So I switched three different rental agencies last year, but didn't move one. And then the, the third rental agency had to do their inspections and get everything done. And, and so now I'm just kind of in limbo with this third place. They've been pretty chill so far. The truth I've been this last year with my Instagram page, especially some of my testing, there've been plenty of times that come up where I've just been so frustrated. All right, JD Short, thank you for sitting down and talking with me. I appreciate that. Just so everybody knows, we talked, I don't know, what, about a month, month and a half ago? Mm-hmm. And uh, the audio quality just did not make it. So for all the listeners that hear this, uh, we apologize. And uh, I think that we kind of made up for that, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, it was a good, good, good rap session, man. Um, so if you're looking for beans, how, how do we get a hold of you? I'm doing most of my promotions through Instagram. I promote a lot of the banks I'm I'm at on there. That's a good place. So at Second Generation Genetics. Yep. And do you have a website? Um, my gear's not up on that website yet, but a lot, I, okay. All of the brokers listed on that website have my gear. I don't have a website yet. I'm still kind of flying under that radar a little bit. Still boutique. Well, and the cool part is, is you go through DC Seed Exchange, right? Yeah, that's one of them, yeah. Yeah, and actually, we've worked closely with them. So for all you Southern Oregonians, if you want seeds, go to DC Seed Exchange. We've dealt business with them, and they're really good people. And actually, you know, like I told you before, they've actually used a couple of our pictures for for Greenworks. Yeah, DC is good folk. Yeah, they are. So, and very trustworthy. Everything has worked good with them for us. So, uh, you know, check them out. And uh, also, too, uh, you can always follow Second Gen, and I'm sure they can get a hold of you if they. Yeah, there's, I've got an email address up there on the Second Generation Genetics Instagram account. So they can contact me there, too. Sometimes it takes a while to get back, but. Well, shoot, you know, you're busy, right? You're, busy. you're making medicine for the future. Busy. Yes. So we appreciate you, sir. Thank you, JD. Um, I, I can't say enough about your work and your love and your passion. And I think the cannabis culture and especially Oregon is appreciative of the fact that you have carried on not only an amazing name, but you've also added in a lot of extra, uh, you know, talent and skill and taken it to the next level. Wow. Wow. We really appreciate that, sir. Awesome. Great to be here, man. I'm Higher Peaks, and you've just listened to The Dirt Show. If you like this episode, please like, share, comment, and go to organrooted.com where you can subscribe to us on your favorite platform like iTunes, Pandora, or Spotify. Also check us out on our YouTube for videos and IG, Facebook, and Twitter for all our updates. Thank you for listening.